So are you sitting comfortably? It's a bit too hot for that. But don't worry, I won't keep you for too long today. Your honoured guests come a long way. They deserve the full two hours, I reckon. <laughs> Do you know, I sit there through the worship saying, don't say that joke, Jamie. Don't say that joke, Jamie. You say that joke every week, Jamie, but I can't resist it. So I need to listen to today's message, which is about flesh and spirit. Anyway, Galatians 5. We're in Galatians. Great place to be. Uh, we've got only two weeks to go, would you believe? Today, I'm going to read. start by reading chapter 5 and starting in verse 16. This is a great passage. You may well recognize some of it. This is the New Living Translation because I just love the way it writes it. So it goes like this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I read through that list as quickly as I possibly could to get to the end of it. Like me, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. What a wonderful passage. Now we've all got verses 2 and 3, 22 and 23 on their kitchen walls. Yes? Picture, there's mine coming up any second now. There we go. I found it. It was hidden behind a curtain. That is the fruit of the Spirit. You can't quite, you're not quite sure why it was hidden behind a gun. How about, how about these highlights in this passage? Verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. What a great piece of advice. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And then verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And then the verse that puts this passage into the context of the overall message of Galatians, where we've been over the last few weeks, is verse 18. That when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So the freedom that we talked about last week Verse, chapter 5, verse 1, it's the freedom that Christ has set us free. That that freedom is neatly summarized in this one statement. That in Christ, as New Testament believers, as sons of God, as ones filled with the Spirit of God, we are, we are no longer governed by the letter of the law, 
but the leading of love. Our relationship with God is no longer defined by, by those rituals and feasts and sacrifices, but by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Our conduct, as you saw last week, is no longer regulated by a moral code per se, but by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer the external pressure of Mount Sinai, but the internal abundance of Pentecost. And so with that distinction settled, Paul introduces us to this section, which is entitled, Walking in the Spirit. Actually, the New Living um, Translation subtitle is Living by the Spirit's Power. The ESV titles this, Keep in Step with the Spirit. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. That's exciting, isn't it? You look really excited. Good for you. So here's Paul's ongoing message through this book. That when you become a Christian, everything changes. And of course, the context is these Judaizers continually trying to pull them back in to the old way of legalistic living when actually a huge part of the call that we now have is to a completely different way of living. And this new way of living is expressed in several different ways through Scripture. In Galatians 5.25, New King James, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is the way. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, for for though we live in the world, we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. It's different now. And Romans 12, 2, of course, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But of course, as we read in this passage here, this new way of living doesn't necessarily and naturally come easily to us. You know, after all, we've spent our whole lives being pummeled by the ways and the agenda of the world. We have an inbuilt fleshly tug towards selfishness and, and towards self-preservation and self-promotion. And we're subject to a whole range of moods and emotions that can at times be negative and destructive. In essence, there is an internal battle raging on the inside of us all. Paul puts it like this, verse 17. The sinful nature, the flesh, wants to do evil, just wants to, which is just the opposite, of course, of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And then he says that these two forces are constantly fighting each other. You want to know what's been going on inside you for the last 21 years? This is what's been going on inside you. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I mean, the reality is, if you are a red-blooded, oxygen-believing, Christ-following human being, you live under a tension. You're being tugged in two opposing directions. There's a a tussle inside between between two forces. Actually, we've seen numerous times in Galatians so far, and that is flesh on one hand 
and spirit on the other. In fact, this passage in the New Living Translation describes it as as the Holy Spirit guiding or or the sinful nature craving. Uh, Those of you who've been here from the beginning know that I showed you the five commentaries that I've been working my way through. One of them, Joyce Myers, she summed this up really nicely. She said this, We receive a new nature when we are born again. But God does not destroy our old carnal nature. They reside side by side and are at war one with another. One that is strongest always wins the battle. Hold that thought in mind. The one that is strongest always wins the battle. Now, there is a wonderfully reassuring passage in Romans 7 where Paul describes his personal struggles. Listen to this, Romans 7, verse 14. The trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble, Paul said, is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Then down to verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Folks, this is Paul. Paul is a legend. Paul is the hero. He is the one who literally wrote the book. And that should make us feel, I think, at least a little bit better. That if you ever struggle with any of this, you are in very good company. Let's look quickly at the two combatants, flesh and spirit. First first of all, flesh. Each one of us has within us what the the NIV or the New Living Translation called, called a sinful nature. The old King James Version calls it the flesh. And that flesh comprises our old, as yet unrenewed, carnal nature. I like to think of it like this. It's the bits that that you and God haven't quite finished working on yet, if you know what I mean. And when the Bible talks about flesh, it's referring to things like this. Referring to lust and greed and pride. It's referring to impetuous anger and impatience to all those negative and selfish emotions and attitudes, referring to the demands of our hurts and pains. But you know what? The Bible is unambiguous. Verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil. Romans 8, verse 7, the mind governed by the Spirit is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Start warning. Contrast that with combatant number two, which is the spirit. 
So as Christians, we become a new creation. God takes residence in our hearts. We become temples of the Holy Spirit, which means that inside every born-again believer is, is a wonderful and a complex and an intimate fellowship, which is, which is our spirit indwelt by and working with and led by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? That, as we've read here, produces an entirely different set of passions and pulls us in completely the opposite direction. Verse 17, and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And then he goes on to explain what happens if you let each of those two forces win. In verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And thus follows that extremely ugly list that I read through as quickly as I possibly could. But then verse 22, the Holy Spirit yielding to the Spirit of God produces a very different kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love what Joyce Meyer said about, about that. She said, when I read these two lists, that's the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit. So I feel stress simply reading the works of the flesh. And then she said, I feel peace when reading the fruit of the Spirit. She said, it is not difficult for believers to know which one to choose. So the bottom line is we have two sources. We have two seeds, if you like. And that produces two very different sets of outcomes. Share with you quickly an illustration, that, that simple one that, that, that I find helpful. In your kitchen, possibly even in your bathroom, you have a mixer tap, picture on the screen any second now, you have a mixer tap for hot and cold water. On one side you have blue for cold, on the other side, you have red for hot. Now, the water from both sources comes out the same mixer spout, right? So, so for our purposes, you can do it either way around, I guess. Blue represents spirit. Red represents flesh. You can have it the other way around. And the spout represents your mouth. In other words, it all comes out of the same place, but with very different results. And the moral is this, that the tap that we turn on determines the output we choose, hot or cold, flesh or spirit, and thus determines the outcomes that we get, as we see in verses 17 through 23 in quite dramatic terms. So this leads for me to, to, to a probing question. And the question is, for you, which tap do you turn on as a rule? Is it the flesh tap or is it the spirit tap? And then the follow-up question, I guess, is how then do we change that? Let me, let me give you some examples, just so there's, there's absolutely no doubt exactly what I'm talking about here. If these 
If these two conflicting forces or voices or influences are tugging away at our heartstrings, which they are, and if they're competing for attention in our minds and our thoughts, which they are, how, how exactly does that, that tension manifest? I'll give you five really quick examples. Number one, you, you know the right way to respond, you know. But your insecurities just shout so loud that eventually you just give in. Number two, you know, as a Christian, that, that you're called to walk in love, and yet you're angry. That frustration and that hurt finally bubbles over, and you lash out in the flesh. Number three, you know, as a Christian, you've been saved by grace, that we're supposed to live by grace and be ruled by grace. And yet you just cannot stop the urge to criticize and judge and pour out all that strong and loud opinion. Number four, you know the promises of God. You can quote Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good. You can even quote Jeremiah 29, 11. If I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. You know the promises of God. You know them. But in the pressure of the moment, it just all seems too much. And so any joy is displaced by gloom and despondency. And any peace is strangled by stress and anxiety. Last example, number five. You can see the dream. You can see it. You know what God has for you. But you're impatient. Surely we can get there quicker. Surely I can get to harvest time quicker. Surely I can get to breakthrough quicker if I just give God a little helping hand. So the moral is in each of those five scenarios, you can respond to one of the two tugging influences. That's the battle right there. It's one that we're all fighting every day. And if we're honest, usually with mixed results. Even, Paul, even caused Paul the Apostle his fair share of sleepless nights. So back into Galatians 5, what advice does Paul give in this passage to help us win a little more often? Who'd like to win a little more often? Okay, so three, three quick thoughts. Number one, make a stake-in-the-ground decision to surrender. Verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Two words, the word let, to me that implies a choice. And the word guide Ask who is going to be given control. Of course, the correct answer is the Holy Spirit. I was struck by, by Joyce Meyer's commentary. Lord Joyce tonight, today, uh, in, in the commentary tonight. I'm not going to go that long. She said this. I was a Christian. You've heard Joyce Meyer on the telly, so you know her story. I was a Christian for many years before I became what I call a serious Christian. 
I was a person who wanted God to help me, but I wasn't ready to surrender my entire life to him. Through a great deal of misery and unhappiness, I finally did reach that point. And although I had the Holy Spirit prior to that time, once I was ready to fully surrender to God, I became filled with the Holy Spirit. Before that time, she said, I had the Holy Spirit, but he didn't have all of me. I just love that thought. I had the Holy Spirit. I mean, he lives in there. You're a Christian. You're born again. You are a temple Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. But does the Holy Spirit have you? Question mark. The answer is yes, of course. And the reality is, struggle is inevitable until we fully surrender. Yeah, we want to change. We want to grow. But something just keeps clinging on. And if you want to try to keep one foot in each camp, spirit and flesh, you are eventually and inevitably going to be torn. So you need to make that stake in the ground decision. I surrender. And this is definitely the first step to winning the battle between flesh and spirit. Lord, I choose to stop resisting you and start submitting to you unreservedly. What a great decision to make. Lord, I'm going to sidle off the throne of my life so you can take your rightful place. I thoroughly recommend that. I'm going to make it first priority, verse 25, to follow the Spirit's leading in every part of my life. And it starts with a stake in the ground decision. I am going to fully surrender. Number two, we'll go through these quickly. Number two, your flesh must be crucified over and over again. This isn't quite so happy. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the... Nails hurt. Nail the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. There's an old uh, Cherokee uh, tale, uh, which I, I know I've told before, of an elder and his grandson. And the, the elder says, says this to the child. He says, we all have two wolves living on the inside of us. One wolf is angry and frustrated and fearful. It sees the negative in every situation and spends its time grumbling, moaning, complaining, and criticizing. The other wolf, however, is positive, encouraging, and thankful. It sees the positive in every situation and is full of life and love and joy. And these two wolves, the elder explained, are constantly fighting for dominance within us. So the boy pondered for a moment, then asked the elder, so grandfather, which wolf is going to win this war? His grandfather smiled and said, you know the line, the one you feed. The one you feed. And here's the danger. The danger is we inadvertently feed the flesh by continually giving in and letting it win. And in time, you essentially become flesh 
ruled or flesh-led. And if that's the case, the devil will have a field day in your life. He just whispers in your ear. He just pokes and agitates your flesh. And your flesh jumps up inside of you like a playful puppy. And if that is you, you will find yourself tossed to and fro by every fear, by every failure, by criticism, by offense, by every delay. Joyce Meyer again said, the best way to kill the flesh is simply not to feed it. The less we feed it, the weaker it becomes. Every time we give in to the demands of the fleshly nature, we are feeding it and giving it strength to make more demands. So the advice is when you hear the flesh screaming at you, and it will, simply ignore it. Not quite sure why I used the word simply there, because if it was simple, we wouldn't all be in this by mess, would we? But that's the principle. We need to starve the flesh. We need to give it absolutely no oxygen. We need to stop throwing any more logs, as it were, on the fire. In fact, we need to intentionally run in the opposite direction. And you know what? Over time, your flesh will start to grow weaker and weaker and weaker until, until you have it trained. All its passions and all its desires, desires nailed to the cross and crucified. And then the flip to that is number three. Number three uh, that, we, that we learn from Paul here is to feed your spiritual life in any and every way you can. Remember, there are two wolves in the story. There's one you need to starve. The other one needs to be fed. Verse 17, the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Since we are living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So it's really quickly, big topic, three practical steps you can take to feed your spiritual life. Number one, get, this is obvious stuff. Number one, get deeply into the word so the word can get deeply into you. This is why I've taken 10 weeks to preach through Galatians. Hopefully we can get those principles deeply in. Here is the verse, Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You know, God's word is literally your spiritual food. The Bible describes it as daily bread, as meat, as milk, as honey. So, honor the word. Prioritize it. Study it. Meditate it. Memorize it. Sing it. Until it gets deep enough to really make a difference until it renews your mind, until it transforms the way you think, until it starts to govern the actions that you take. Number one. Number two is fix your mind on things above. Colossians 3 verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek, seek, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind intentional, deliberate, strategic. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 
So I was preparing for this. I had an expression come into my head, which was tilt the scales. Tilt the scales. And it goes something like this. The more that you worship, tilt that scale, the more that you worship, the less you'll worry. But the more you focus on the problem, sorry, I'll start again. The more you focus on the promise, did I say problem? I didn't know. I'll start again, again. The more you focus on the promise, the less scary will be the problem. And of course, the more attention you give to the things of God, the less time you'll have for the seductions of the world. Number two, fix your mind on things of God. And then number three, I like to put it like this, dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Just done that. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is to death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And I'm convinced one of the best ways that you can do that is to learn to, to keep and to maintain and to prioritize an ongoing dialogue between you and the Holy Spirit. Which means that you keep asking him to help you discern. Which one is it? Which way should I go? Is it yes or no? Keep that conversation, that dialogue going, ask him that question at every turn. And it means that you're constantly looking to seeing where the light is shining. You can hopefully distinguish the light between the dark. My advice is head towards the light. Always involve him at those crunch points. This is really what Paul says here, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. You've got to let him. You've got to give him control. And then verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You know, guiding and leading you is the Holy Spirit's ministry. And he is very, very good at it if, if you'll let him. Okay, closing thought, and then we'll set up the response. Closing thought. Another commentarian, uh, Warren Wisby, fruit grows in a climate blessed with an abundance of the spirit and word. I love that. You want Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Fruit grows in a climate blessed with an abundance of the spirit and word. Of course, it goes without saying that the fruit that you eat will be determined by the seed that you sow. Or perhaps the seed that you allow to take root in the soil of your heart. So if you really do want the fruit of the Spirit from verse 22 and 23, rather than that scary list of the desires of your sinful nature, verses 19 to 21, you have to make sure that you are sowing spirit seed rather than flesh seed. Funnily enough, that's where Paul goes next at the start of Galatians 6. But you have to come back next week to hear that. Or listen online if you're a long way away. You're very welcome. Okay, so how do we respond? If I could invite the worship team to come up, time's ticking along nicely here. I realize I am part of the worship team, so let me deal with that conundrum. 
three possible ways I think you can respond. And as I said every week, you know, it's one thing to hear the word. I think James said, actually, that's of some value. It's actually got to be a doer of the word. And so I, I believe I, I spout a lot of words, but, you know, I, I put a lot of trust in the Holy Spirit to, in spite of those words or to whatever, to come at you from different angles. And I believe he'll have been showing you something specific today. And if he hasn't yet, then we'll pray over you in a second and, and have a bit of response time and say, okay, Lord, what, what do I take out of this? What can I actually do to feed my spiritual life and to starve the fleshly one? What can I do? So to that end, I've just got three really simple responses. They'll, they'll go up on the screen to help you remember. Response number one is, have you fully surrendered to the Lord? That's just a follow-up question to that, which is perhaps even a better question. What part of your life or what part of your soul do you still need to surrender? There'll be something. And I tell you what, if that is, then I, what a great opportunity this morning just to come to the front. We do kind of response on this side. If you just want to do business with God and no one to pray for you, you can come over here and get on your knees. And whatever it is, give it to him today. You will not regret that. That's number one option. Option number two, is your flesh, is it being encouraged or is it being crucified? Put it like this, what in your life needs to be starved? Again, you can ask the Lord about that. And if you're really struggling there, we have a prayer ministry team who will be over this side in this corner. They'll be happy to pray for the grace and the power and the wisdom of God to help you to deal with that. So number two, what are you doing about your flesh? Are you allowing it to run around like a playful puppy or are you nailing it to the cross? Don't get those two metaphors confused. And then finally, number three. Some of you are starting to get that one now. Are you? It's not good. I don't know why I said that. I regret that now. Sorry, my dogs. I apologize. Right, number three. What could you do starting right now to feed your spiritual life? What could you do? I gave you a few ideas in there. What could you do to feed your spiritual life? Maybe just pick one thing. Starting tomorrow morning, Monday morning comes around every week, great opportunity for new things. What one thing could you put in place to start to feed the other wolf, the spirit, so you become spiritually strong? So those are the three options. I said, if you want prayer, please feel free to come this side. If you want prayer for anything, please feel free to come this side. They'll be happy to see you. If you want to do business with God, come this side. What we'll do is I'm going to head back to the uh, piano now. And we're going to sing a, an appropriately chosen song called I Surrender. See what I did there? Um, and then at the end of the song, I'll ask Mary to come and pray. And um, as always, if you feel that God's giving you a word of knowledge or something to encourage, or, then come see Mary. We, we'd love to hear what, what the Lord has to say. So let's stand.